The Lord be with you. And also with you. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God. And worship God on the holy mountain. We gather for ordered worship to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God. The liturgy, music, and homily, the cantata, and sermon this day are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence here with us in worship. This is the day, this Transfiguration Sunday, which the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
may we pray. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A lesson from St. Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And even after our gospel was veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded them, blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in singing verses from Psalm 50 with the antiphon. Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of the Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence, before whom is a devouring fire, round about whom is a mighty tempest. Gather to me my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare God's righteousness, for God himself is judge. stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel.
Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Last Sunday, our worship service of Word and Table here at Marsh Chapel concluded with the singing of an old hymn written by a Massachusetts minister, J. Edgar Park, who was president of Wheaton College, Massachusetts. His principal pastorate was in the Second Church of Newton, Congregational West Newton, Massachusetts, which he served from 1926 to 1944, going from there to the presidency of Wheaton. He was the author of many books, including one of the Lyman Beecher Lectures at Yale, which is still, year by year, the high-water mark across the country in reflection on and consideration of the nature of Christian preaching. Now, you may not, in fact, remember the hymn we sang to conclude our service, which is not any detriment to you or criticism of you. In fact, I might not have remembered it myself, except that I realized midweek that it shows fully and clearly one of the two natures of our Lord which are in contest today and both of which we affirm today, the human and the divine, the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith, the Son of Man in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the Word of God in John. Beloved, we need them both, both the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount and the parable of the mustard seed and the Christ today of the transfiguration, of brilliance beyond brilliance, of sin and redemption, of hell and heaven, of the lost and the found. Our passage from Mark 9, the transfiguration, which seems like an import from the Gospel of John, turns us from one to the other, though holding on to both. Anyway, Mr. Park of Newton wrote a venerable hymn, which we did sing last week. The hymn title is, We Would See Jesus, number 256, in our venerable Methodist hymnal, which hymnal is about to be revised this coming year with all the attendant disagreements, disputes, and ultimately, we trust, a happy and useful outcome for the use of singing Methodists near and far around the globe. One of our own faculty here at Boston University is a member of that committee. 
My friend says you can size up the denominations by watching what they argue about. Episcopalians argue about liturgy. Baptists argue about baptism. Presbyterians argue about the Book of Order. Lutherans argue about Luther. And Methodists argue about the hymnal. Well, that hymn fits our readings from Mark and fits Epiphany, the season out of which we come and traces the ministry of Jesus until today. It doesn't fit today. It fit last week. We would see Jesus, lo, his star is shining above the stable while the angels sing. There in a manger on the hay reclining, haste, let us lay our gifts before the king. And we would see Jesus, Mary's son most holy, and we would see Jesus on the mountain teaching, and we would see Jesus in his work of healing, and we would see Jesus still as of old, he calleth, follow me. In a few simple verses, the hymn traces the earthly ministry of Jesus, birth, growth, teaching, healing, calling. This is the Jesus most of us, most of the time, are most comfortable with, and the Jesus, one could add, that most seminarians prefer to study. The Jesus of parables, of the lilies of the field, of the various healings, of the preachments in valley and on mountain. In short, the human Jesus. This is the Jesus known and heard in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, with some occasional exceptions, like today's reading, the Transfiguration. We can fairly readily approach this Jesus. We would see him, as the hymn says, in the verses and chapters of the Synoptic Gospels. But notice what is not in the hymn we sang last Sunday. Today, Transfiguration is not in the hymn. For today we shall need another hymn we'll sing in a moment, one of Charles Wesley. That is, now pause for a moment and hear again the gospel today, which is none of this, none of what is in Mr. Park of Newton's fine hymn. The Mark 9 transfiguration is like an invasion by the gospel of John into an otherwise unsuspecting, pleasant, and happy earliest gospel of Mark. No longer the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, rabbi, teacher, messiah, no. Here, a high, mysterious mountain, strange words about booze, the sudden appearance of Elijah and Moses, a blinding light, a mysterium tremendum, the holy. Suddenly, Jesus not just teacher or preacher or healer or rabbi, but the Jesus of your life, your soul, your death, your eternal life. The Jesus of transfiguration stands out and above the Jesus in most of the rest of the Gospel of Mark. No, here he's not just a Jewish mystic wisdom teacher or social prophet, but Savior, Redeemer, Lord, a brilliance beyond brilliance to which we in humility, before whom we in humility, 
do with confidence turn in our human mortal existential need. Death makes us mortal. Facing death makes us human. Death makes us mortal. Facing death makes us human. This is the Jesus of whom it is said by Thomas in the fourth gospel, my Lord and my God. This is the Jesus to whom we turn in the Lenten challenges, whether or not they come in Lent, the Lord of life and of death. So our Charles Wesley hymn in a few moments is quite different. Christ whose glory fills the skies, Christ the true, the only light, Son of righteousness arise, triumph o'er the shades of night, day spring from on high be near, day star in my heart appear. It is this holy grace, this gracious holiness, to which we turn our ears, not our eyes, on the Sundays like this one, upon which we hear the gospel as spoken, but also as sung in today's marvelous cantata. A day is coming that will judge the secrets of humankind, before which hypocrisy may tremble, for the wrath of God's jealousy and, and annihilates what hypocrisy and cunning contrive. Bach gives us this height, a height and holy space before and above us as an overture to a holy presence, which holy presence calls us to repentance, promises us pardon, reassures us in the face of death, lifts us up to the hope of heaven, takes us out of the mundane and the meager, and places us up on a high mountain on which we go to pray. And he was transfigured before them. And he was transfigured before them. Dr. Jarrett, how shall we listen this morning with particular careful attention to today's cantata? Thank you, Dean Hill. At first read, the text of today's cantata surely align more with the Mysterium Tremendum depiction that you've just described to us. Cantata 136 warns of the day of judgment when our own hypocrisy and cunning ways threaten to undo us. The bass solos will sing and tell us that the heavens themselves are not clean and that all are struck by spots of sin brought upon us by Adam's fall. These depictions endure for much of the cantata until mercifully we are reminded that Jesus' wounds cleanse and redeem. The holy, the human, and the divine depictions of Jesus. In the final chorale, we sing that even a drop of the blood of Jesus can cleanse the entire world. The image is one of humankind ensnared in the jaws of the devil, set free and at liberty by the blood of the Lamb. Bach's anonymous librettist was surely trying to amplify the themes of the lessons heard earlier in the service in Leipzig in that day. For Bach, those lessons were from Romans and Matthew rather than Mark and Corinthians. They call the Christian to live according to the spirit, not of the flesh, along with admonishments to beware of false prophets and of hypocrisy. These are the subject of the internal movements. There are two recitatives, an aria for alto and a duet 
for tenor and bass. In these movements, Bach highlights a few words here with extended melismas for the singers. Here are a couple of things to listen for. To listen for. The word erzittern, or tremble, as the sinner trembles before the seat of the throne of grace on judgment day. Vernichtet, or annihilate, describing the wrath of God's jealousy. In the tenor-based duet, as if to number the spots of our sin, there is a long melisma on the word flecken. Later in the duet, the same melisma is treated with the word strom, or stream, referring to the stream of Jesus' blood, all of which, all of these offer aural anchors throughout these two remarkable movements. A typical cantata libretto draws on several sources for texts. The internal movements were most often newly written poetic texts by someone uh, in close relationship working with Bach. It's in these texts that we find the most theological exegesis worked out. Most often the cantata is concluded with a chorale by one of the famous Lutheran hymn writers, frequently by Luther himself. The opening movements were typically direct quotes of, strip, of scripture, drawing on the Psalms more than any other biblical source. Bach follows this exact design in today's cantata, number 136, opening his cantata with the 23rd verse of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. In the German text, Erforsche mich Gott und erfahre mein Herz, prüfe mich und erfahre wie ich meine. Modern German translations of the Luther Bible replace the two verbs erfahre with erkenne. Regardless, listeners can recognize those four imperative verbs that begin each line imploring God's true examination of our inmost thoughts. For a moment to conclude, we rely with gratitude on my fellow Johannine scholar John Ashton to keep the Jesus of Mark and also the Jesus of John, who makes an invasive appearance here in Mark 9, both fully before us, both Christmas and Easter, both life and death, both teaching and, and crucifixion, both healing and resurrection, both Jesus human and divine, both Mark and John, both Mark 1 and Mark 9, both we would see Jesus and Christ whose glory fills the skies, both last Sunday and this Sunday, says Ashton, reflecting with wisdom on the full sweep of the New Testament. No doubt the synoptic gospels held their place, but for them Christianity might well have rapidly vaporized into some form of speculative Gnosticism. It did not. The parables of the kingdom and the Sermon on the Mount continued to be regarded as indispensable elements of the Christian message, and more importantly, the Jesus who preached them remained ever-present to their Christian consciousness. To most modern eyes, the portrait painted by the synoptists is both simpler and more attractive. It is the portrait of a man with a special relationship with God, whom he addresses by the intimate name of Abba, Father. He was a man of his time. His teaching and preaching, even his healing miracles, can readily be placed in the context of first-century Palestinian Judaism. If he were suddenly to reappear, as he really was, 
he would no doubt seem to us, in Albert Schweitzer's phrase, a stranger and an enigma, but a recognizable human being nonetheless. Not so. The Johannine Christ, we add, not so the Jesus of the Transfiguration. He does not belong to this world at all. It is almost true to say that he enters it with the purpose of leaving it. He is a pre-existent divine being whose real home is heaven. He enters an alien world with an unprecedented confidence and assurance, knowing who he is, where he comes from, and where he is going. He orchestrates his own passion. He can read Pilate's heart. There is about him no trace of uncertainty. Master of his fate, captain of his soul, his head bloodied but unbowed, he never had to confront either the fell clutch of circumstance or the bludgeonings of chance. Well, beloved, that is, there is in the gospel today a full and deep mystery. Can you hear it? Can you hear of it? So high that we cannot attain it. An unfathomable, an uncanny deep right here in our gospel of the sudden appearance of a Jesus who would fit well in John but hardly fits at all here in Mark. And is that not for us come Sunday, this Sunday, in the hearing of the word and music, a part of our needed reminder, a reminder about the limits of life, about the mystery of life, about the God gift of life, given us well beyond our capacity to understand it. Perhaps we can carry from the beauty and holiness of these precious gospel and musical moments a sturdy reminder of the great strangeness, the great mystery, the great tremendous, yes, unearthly voice and presence and grace of our Lord who comes to us this morning interrupting the rest of his more human appearance in Mark with this scene befitting John and interrupting our forgetfulness of mystery, especially in our beloved academic community. We may need to recall again, as we did a week ago, the greater the body of knowledge, the longer the shoreline of mystery that surrounds it.
Aber sind nicht rein, wie soll es nun ein Mensch vor diesem Richter sein? Doch er durch Jesu Blut gereinigt, im Glauben sich mit ihm vereinigt, weiß, dass er ihm kein hartes Wort spricht, kränkt ihn die Sünde noch. Er hat in Christo doch Gerechtigkeit und Thank you. 
Let us express our gratitude to Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium for leading us in worship today. Welcome to Marsh Chapel on this last Sunday of Epiphany. We're delighted you are with us today. We are a diverse place with recent immigrants and ninth-generation descendants of the Massachusetts Bay colonists in our midst. We are gay, straight, trans, and searching. We are native English speakers and fearless, resilient friends learning a new language in a new land. We are Democrats, Libertarians, Independents, and Republicans. In the venerable tradition of the Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman, we strive to be a place of Christian community whereby we may find common ground. Welcome to Marsh Chapel. In order for you to get to know the community and the community to get to know you better, let us know who you are. Send us an email at chapel at bu.edu, or if you're in the nave this morning, find the red pad along the center aisle, add your name to it, pass it along your pew, and then back again. Learn the name of a new friend seated next to you. I draw your attention to a few announcements in the bulletin this morning. First, on Ash Wednesday, that is this Wednesday, there will be three services with the imposition of ashes offered here at the chapel at 8.30 a.m., the ecumenical morning prayer here in the nave, at 5.15 p.m., the ecumenical evening prayer in Robinson Chapel downstairs, and then at 6 p.m., the larger Ash Wednesday service here in the nave. A variety of other Lenten-related announcements may be found on the page of many announcements in your bulletin. I begin first with the Lenten devotions. For the fifth year, the ministry staff of Marsh Chapel offers a daily emailed Lenten devotion from Ash Wednesday until Easter Sunday. Each email includes a scripture passage, reflection, and encouragement for further reflection or more information. Registration for the devotion is available on the Marsh Chapel website, www.bu.edu chapel. On Tuesday this week, we will have a Shrove Tuesday pancake dinner from 6 p.m. until 8 p.m. in the Marsh Room downstairs. You are invited to join the internationally celebrated Christian tradition of eating pancakes the day before the season of Lent begins. The Global Ministries Department will be cooking up pancakes and some other breakfast food uh, for dinner. There will be a pancake toss competition, and for more information, you can contact Chaplain Jessica Chica. Uh, finally, the St. John Passion Lecture Series continues next Sunday, February 18th, from 1230 to 2 p.m., discussing the two arias. In the arias of the St. John Passion, poet and composer take the reins as they thrust the believer into the center of the Passion story. The St. John Passion contains two of Bach's most unconventional arias. The seminar examines Bach's approach to these arias and how it differs from the typical da capo aria of the St. John Passion in the 18th century more generally. And then for a final announcement, Martin Luther King Jr. Remembrances are listed on the second to last page of your bulletin and are also available on the chapel website. I call your attention in particular to two. On Wednesday, April 4th at 6 p.m., there will be a service of remembrance in, in memoriam to Martin Luther King Jr. 
Cornell William Brooks will be the preacher, and the service will be led by the Marsh Chapel staff. On Sunday, April 8th at 11 a.m., there will be a service entitled After 50 Years, The King Legacy in Word and Song. The special guest preacher will be Deval Patrick. Finally, for more information about any of these events or others, please visit the chapel website at www.bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity to support the many ministries of the chapel. As the ushers wait upon those in the nave this morning, I thank you for your generous support of the ministries of Marsh Chapel through prayer, service, and monetary gifts.
Gracious God, we take this time to honor you in both word and deed. All that we have derives from you, and so we give back to the church, not out of our own generosity, but out of your generosity. Your supply sustains our ability to be in fellowship, in worship, and in awe. Thank you. Amen. It is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge 
of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.